Hey, come on in, come on in, and welcome to Entrepreneurs Can Party. Let me show you around. This is an entrepreneurship podcast for business owners, entrepreneurs, creatives, and those aspiring to be so. The aim is to introduce you to inspiring, like-minded people who are doing what they love every single day and having so much fun in the process. You see, business can and should be fun. You'll have the opportunity to hear their stories, be given tools and advice to succeed, and to taste what is possible when you think and dream bigger. Me? (laughs) I'm your host, Scott Stockdale, and I'll be learning just as much as you as I show you around. It's my job as a fellow entrepreneur to tease out their habits, routines, successes, failures, favourite resources, books, etc, etc. All that good stuff. Alrighty, make yourself at home, grab yourself a drink, and let's get this party started. Hey, hey, so welcome to episode 7 of Entrepreneurs Can Party. I'm your host, Scott Stockdale, and on today's show, I'm going to be talking to you about saving and investing for beginners, which is something I'm very passionate about, and hopefully I'll be able to impart a bit of my wisdom to you this morning or this afternoon, whenever you're listening to this show. And I do kind of say throughout the episode that it's my four-step process, when actually, as I kind of acknowledge towards the end of the episode, it's more like five, so just to be aware of that, but they are five very simple, very easy to implement steps, which will hopefully enable you to start saving and investing for your future. Before we jump into all of that good stuff, I just want to read a couple of reviews which have come this week. Now, there have been so many already, which is amazing, and it really does help in terms of just getting the show out to more listeners, so yeah, if you can leave a review, it really is much appreciated. First of these comes from uh, Brian, who I've got to know uh, a little bit over the last few weeks. Been lovely hearing for, about uh, the stuff he's doing for his podcast, which I would definitely recommend. It's called Just Getting Started. And so, yeah, Brian wrote Solid work by Scott, keeping things conversational and guiding the guests into spots where they can unlock their specific areas of expertise and add value to the show. Excited to see how this grows. Thank you so much, Brian. And the second one comes from Karen, all the way from Canada. And Karen wrote, Dive into the unknown. Yas. That is not just me saying yas. That's uh, Y double A double S. Uh, anyway, this episode sounds like it would be very insightful and educational. I'm joining the party Wednesday. Well, I hope you enjoy the party when you join it, Karen. If you, in fact, I think you sent this uh, on whenever it was. Uh, maybe the other day. So you may have already uh, joined the party. If that is the case, welcome. We are very glad to have you here. And I'll leave it there. So thank you guys. Really do appreciate all the reviews. And let's jump into the main body of today's show. Okay then, so saving and investing for beginners, my four-step method. This is something I'm really excited to share with you today because I actually really enjoy talking about savings and investing, which sounds really sad as I say that out loud, but it's true. And I don't know if that's because I'm an economics graduate or simply because I've read so many books on the subject, but I like kind of talking about it and trying to educate other people about it. So I'm hoping this will be of value to at least a few of you. Before we jump into this, a few things I must make crystal clear to begin with. Firstly, which is probably kind of obvious, I am not an expert. So even though I'm an economics graduate, even though I've read countless books on this subject, even though I've watched so many YouTube videos from the likes of Warren Buffett and Ray Dalio, I am not an expert. So you should kind of take what I say today with a slight pinch of salt. And if you really 
looking for proper financial advice in inverted commas then you know maybe seek a financial planner or a financial expert but I just wanted to kind of share with you my four-step method because I think it's probably quite a good useful starting place for many of you so that's kind of the first thing and then the second thing I wanted to kind of just point out is a lot of the resources I'm going to talk about today I've actually done book reviews on them you can find them on my website scottstockdale.co.uk and then if you navigate to the book review section in the uh, in the menu you'll be able to find countless book reviews I've done there on financial books if that is of interest to you. Alrighty let's jump into this then. So why do we need to save? It's probably the first big question we should ask ourselves and the way I like to think of this is your future self will struggle if you don't uh, consider saving now and for that reason we, yeah we do need to kind of consider this I think for many people I've heard this a lot in my previous job I think people put a lot of emphasis on pensions and things like that to kind of help them in retirement or when they've you're not able to work anymore and I dare say years ago this was probably okay you know government pensions are a lot more generous than what they are now and uh, if you do, if you're lucky enough to have a public pension, then keep hold of it. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, bear with me because I'm wanting to kind of dive into the history of this a little bit because I think it's quite interesting, and it will kind of shed light on the situation we find ourselves in the UK as a society at the moment, which sounds very overwhelming and deep. But I'm going to break it down for you. So, pensions. Why were they a thing? What are they? Essentially, I think it was following the First World War, the Second World War, might have been the Second World War, the government decided to create pensions. And essentially, it was a promise to people that once they retired and could no longer work, the government, the state would kind of look after them. You know, they would provide them with a little bit of money just to kind of keep them by so they weren't, you know, didn't starve as they couldn't work anymore. It's kind of the, the first iteration of what we have now is like the benefit system. And, and yeah, that's what pensions were. And of course, back then, that was okay for the government. They were taking a bit of a risk, you know, in that they were saying they were going to pay for people uh, who couldn't work anymore. But the reason it was a risk they saw worth taking was because the sort of age of uh, sort of mortality rate of most people, most people died before they got to retirement age. You know, I think the, the sort of death age, what's the right word? I can't think of the right word at the moment, but the age at which most people die, life expectancy. The life expectancy of most people back then was around sort of 50 to 60. And if they got above that, then they're kind of considered lucky. So, you know, the government saying they were going to provide uh, sort of help to people beyond retirement age was, was going to be very small, essentially, a small proportion of people. However, Unfortunately, or well, I shouldn't say unfortunately, obviously it's a good thing people are living longer, but in terms of finances for the state, it just means we've now got to a situation, at least in the UK, where sort of pensions, benefits, all of this stuff is just very unsustainable. And I dare say there will be a time, whether it's in my lifetime or, you know, maybe a few generations time where pensions as we know them sort of in the government form, state pensions, probably won't exist. I think they will become too unsustainable and it will be up to us or at least up to our employee uh, employers um, through workplace pensions, things like that, to actually start thinking about savings. And 
many employers do have workplace pensions now, and I think it's actually compulsory in the UK, which is fantastic. However, there is a however. I think, at least at my old job, it was around 6%, 7%, maybe even less than that, of your, uh, if your pay packet was going towards your future self. And you might think, oh, okay, that sounds all right. That sounds kind of good. That's, you know, it's a start. And you're right, it is a start. But what I would caveat that with is you can't expect to save 5% over the course of your working life and expect that to last sort of 30, 40 years post-retirement. And it's quite a damning thing to think of it like that. You know, you can't expect 4% of your even with compound interest, which I'm going to delve into a little bit shortly, even with that, you can't expect it to stretch your entire 30 or 40 years, however long you uh, go without working post-retirement. So obviously there are things you can do to mitigate this, which I'll dive into. And I should stress as well, I don't think uh, just retiring per se should be the aim for us. I think there are ways we can generate uh, income streams to actually escape the nine to five a lot sooner and actually live your life you want to to lead. But I think as a sort of safety net for many people, you know, or people who want that kind of security that once they, if they do retire, uh, they'll have something to fall back on. These are my steps. This is what I would suggest, a four-step principle to help you uh, work through and save for your future. Alrighty, principle number one, pay yourself first. Pay yourself first. What does this mean? I'm going to kind of, before I kind of dive into this, my four-step process is very simple. So if this seems too simplistic, there's a reason for that. And I'm trying to keep it as simple as possible. And I've kept it as simple as possible for myself because I know that if I try and make things too complicated, I just won't stick to it. So yeah, this four-step principle, it's going to seem very simple and that is intended before you kind of think about uh, complicating it too much. So yeah, pay yourself first, step number one. What do I mean? You can think of this as a tax on yourself. So what I do is I take a percentage of what I earn every month and pay it to myself before I pay any bills. It is basically money that goes from my one account straight to my savings account, and I don't see it because it's done automatically, which is my second point, which I'll come on to shortly. But yeah, essentially, first principle, pay yourself first, pay a percentage of your monthly income to yourself before anyone else, before any bills you have to pay, etc., etc. At the moment, I'm trying to pay myself around 30 to 40% each month. However, my circumstances are going to change as I move to London or Manchester. So this might vary slightly. It might be slightly less than that. But I definitely encourage you to pay yourself as much as you possibly can because you'll find, firstly, that it's not too difficult once you kind of get into the routine of it. And you'll realise as well that if you're paying yourself, say, 10%, it won't actually seem that big a deal. You won't really miss it. So, and yeah, definitely encourage you to pay yourself as much as you possibly can. Alrighty, so that's principle number one. Principle number two I've already kind of touched on, and that is make it automatic. So, in other words, you want to remove as many temptations as possible or remove any obstacles that might prevent you from actually saving for your future. One of those obstacles being you might just simply forget to transfer it. So if you make it automatic, uh, this will mitigate a lot of this. 
The way you can do this is, if you're in the UK at least, set up a direct debit from your, your standard checking account to your savings account. And essentially, once you've got that money coming in, you then you know, you make a decision to pay yourself first, pay whatever percentage you want to pay yourself to your savings account, and then set up a direct debit or standing order so that it automatically transfers that money into your savings account. From what, what I do here, uh, after this step is actually once it's in the savings account, I then distribute it to three other what I call buckets. And this is an idea I pinched from a book, which I'll talk about shortly. And I yeah split this money up into three separate buckets. So once it's in the savings account, I've got a dream bucket, which part of this money goes towards. I've got my uh, investment bucket, which another part of this goes towards. And then I've got my housing bucket, which... Uh, another part goes towards. So yeah, three separate buckets from this savings account. Majority goes into my investment buckets. A little bit is going towards my housing bucket, although I'm still not 100% sure if I ever want to buy a house. It's just kind of there as an option. And then the uh, dream bucket is kind of the least amount I put in each month. But this enables me to save for holidays and actually things I want to do, things like that. So that's what I do, make it super simple, pay yourself first, make it automatic. Those are the first two steps and probably the most important steps. Third step for me is to uh, have some sort of investment vehicle. And again, keep this super, super simple. So what I do is following advice from books that I've read. Uh, the first of these, which I'm going to talk about now, is Money Master the Game by Tony Robbins. And I'd say, actually, if there's only one book you can read on finances, read this one. It is an absolute beast in the sense that it's over 600 pages long and there's quite a lot of Americanisms in there. So, for example, instead of ISIS, as we have in the UK, Tony talks about IRSs. There's also things like to do with housing. I think they call them REITs, things like this. There's a lot of stuff you don't necessarily need to know. But there's a lot of really, really good stuff, particularly around the mindset around money and motivation and simple steps to set yourself up to to save. So that's definitely one resource I'll point you towards. Again, there'll be links in the show notes to that book. And also there'll be a link to this fantastic, fantastic podcast episode uh, on the Tim Ferriss Show featuring Remit Sethi, who is the author of... Uh, I can't remember the name of the book. It's really cheesy. He admits that himself. But yeah, fantastic episode. And he talks about investments and a lot more detail there as well. And that's where in this podcast episode, I stole the idea of investing in a Vanguard fund. Fund Vanguard, Vanguard fund. What is that, Scott? All right, this is where investments can seem a little heady to a lot of people, but I'm going to try and make it super simple because, again, I'm not an expert. I don't really know that much about investments. And Vanguard funds are essentially uh, funds of investments that are put together. And these funds contain like stocks. Um, they contain bonds. I'm not going to go into the details of this because, because you know, get very technical very quickly. But yeah, stocks, bonds, guilt, things like that investment things, things you can invest in. They're put into this fund, which is like a a kind of an envelope for all of these investments. And then Vanguard on behalf, uh, it's one of like the biggest companies, financial companies in the world. They essentially look after that for you. And if you put money into that fund, they kind of uh, give you a rate of return. Like you would if you were, you know, if you were saving money in a bank, they give you like an interest for doing that, like a reward for doing that. It's the same with this fund. 
So this fund will give you what they call a rate of return. And for the fund I'm in at the moment, I think it's around 7 to 8% a year, which is okay. You know, you can make a lot more in other more risky investments. But actually it's, you know, compared to like 0.2% that the many banks are offering these days for saving in uh, with them. It's a lot better than that, obviously. And a few reasons I chose the Vanguard fund. First of those is because it was recommended by many uh, the likes of Jack Bogle, Remit Sethi, uh, Tim Ferriss, Tony Robbins, Warren Buffett, you know, huge financial players. The other reason is because they've got low transaction fees. And without, again, without going too technical about this, if you're paying a lot of money, uh, well, I say a lot of money, a percentage, say 2 to 3% on uh, in funds each year, as you do in many mutual funds, those costs spread over the course of, say, 50 to 60 years can be massive. So we're talking like 50 to 60 upwards, thousands of pounds uh, over the course of your lifetime. So it's worth trying to really minimise those uh, costs. So that's what Vanguard funds offer. If you want to find out more about them, check out the resources I've already mentioned. I'll put a link to Vanguard in the show notes as well. And it's something I can't really, you know, it depends. So there's so many sort of variables that come into play here to do with investments. Firstly is like, how long have you got to, to invest in something? Because that will determine how risky, you know, how risky you can go with it. So yeah, loads of different factors. I just want to kind of point you in the direction uh, of what I do. All right, so those are kind of the first three steps. So pay yourself first, make it automatic, and choose an investment vehicle to put your money into to start kind of generating that passive uh, income, or at least that passive investment income. The fourth thing is... Uh, kind of a, yeah, I'd say this is really important as well, actually. And that is, what are you saving for? And this is where Tony Robbins' book comes in really handy. What are you saving for? Why are you saving? If you haven't got a target, it makes it kind of easy to kind of cop out of it a little bit, you know? And there is, when I kind of talk about savings targets, there are kind of few ways to think about this. You can think of it either in terms of are you saving for a specific thing, whether it's like a new house or a new car, or are you saving to retire early so you don't have to work past like 30 or 40 years old, which is definitely doable. And I'll provide a link to Mr. Money Mustache's blog, which provides a real clear roadmap of how you can retire at 30, which is fantastic. Um, the dream for many people, I'm sure. So yeah, think about why are you saving what are you saving for? And this will help massively in terms of giving you that motivation to actually do uh, pay yourself first. And that is essentially my four-step program. There is kind of a fifth step, which is kind of an extra step. And actually, this is really important as well. I shouldn't probably call it the five-step program. And that is try and create some income streams, some additional income streams. So not just depending on your nine to five or your business or whatever to generate the income that you need to live, but actually look for some extra income streams to, yeah, whether those are passive income streams or just kind of additional ones. There's a really great book, as always, on this, and it's called Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki probably just butchered his name but there is a link to that in the show notes and he really paints this picture clearly of how to generate extra income streams so i highly recommend that book 
for me, a uh, few things I'm doing. So I do tutoring on the side, GCSE maths. So that kind of brings in a little bit of extra income. It's not passive because I do have to obviously prepare for those sessions and attend those sessions, but it's very useful nonetheless. I'm also looking to uh, start some Udemy courses with a digital nomad called Louise, who is fantastic. So we're going to be start recording those in May, I believe, uh, around SEO which I'm super excited to do. So that could potentially be a passive income stream for me. And then also with the podcasting in the future, I'd love to bring on uh, sponsors for the show and sort of other affiliate links, things like that, which again, I'm hoping could be another possible income stream for me. So have a think about this. There's loads of different options out there. The sort of number of income streams you can think of, uh, it's limitless really. So definitely have a think on that. Wow, let's take a deep breath. I feel like I've gone at a rapid rate of knots there, kind of trying to get through this in a short amount of time as possible. Just to very quickly recap my, I've called it four-step method. I might kind of call it five-step actually in this final segment. So step number one, pay yourself first if you can. And again, as much as you possibly can pay yourself, uh, I'd encourage you to do so. Second step, make it automatic so you don't forget to do it and you're not tempted to actually not pay yourself one month or pay yourself less on a given month. So yeah, make it automatic. Third step, uh, investment vehicle. Find one that works for you. I've recommended the Vanguard Fund purely because I've heard other people recommend it to me uh, through books and podcasts. Uh, And these are people who know what they're talking about. So I've just followed the advice of other people here and I don't really want to spend my time looking at financial statements and reviewing company news and things like that, which you can do if you really want to get into stocks, for example. You know, if you want to pick your stocks very selectively, then it's a good idea to kind of read up on companies and trying to pick out which companies are good to invest in at what times, etc., etc. I just haven't got the patience for it and I don't want to spend all my time doing that. I'd much rather spend my time on other things, such as coming up with additional income streams, which is my fifth and final point. The point in between all of those is what are you saving for? Get some clarity on that. And Tony Robbins' book, Money Master the Game, is a fantastic resource on this, as is uh, the Tim Ferriss episode with Remit Sethi. I'll provide links to both of those resources and everything I've talked about in this episode today. Alrighty, I appreciate I've probably just blown your mind with a lot of that information. Digest it, take your time with this. And I really hope this has been of value to at least a few of you today, if you're still listening right now. Alrighty, thank you so much for listening. Really do appreciate it. And until next week, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Think about some of this financial stuff and I will speak again with you very, very soon. Do take care. Hey, hey, it's only me again. And before you go, I've got a very quick question for you. Would you like to make 2020 your best year yet? Okay, so hopefully that's a no-brainer. And to help you to the same, I've put together my annual blueprint and strategic life plan, which is totally free for you to download today. It's broken down into nine sections and features 96 thought-provoking questions, all of which are aimed to seek clarity about the things you want and to help you make that happen. If you'd like to get your hands on my free 25-page document, visit scottstockdale.co.uk. That's scottstockdale.co.uk.